Welcome to According to Flint, the innovative podcast reaching beyond the Western demographic with stories, humor, and interviews. Now, here's your host, Flint Rasmussen. Welcome to another episode of According to Flint, of course, and getting back to our kind of in our wheelhouse a little bit, back to our roots, back to what we do every day and happy and honored to welcome the 1992, 92. Wow. That was so long ago. The 92 PRCA world champion bull rider, not only a nine-time PBR world finals qualifier, but a founder of the PBR in the a 2017 pro rodeo hall of fame inductee hall of famer mr cody custer the fence is fixed the beer is cold all is well in your world right now huh cody all good just uh the fence is not finished yet but i'll go back to that after we uh, chat <laughs> well i'll keep you as long as i can then so then you don't have to. So is every guy uh, i remember as I was writing some notes and writing it down, I write Cody Custer. Is every guy with the initials CC, every guy with those initials CC Ryder? You and Clint Corey? Yeah, sounds like it, yeah. Me and Clint Corey were, were a pair, but now there's a bunch of them, I guess. <laughs> um, so you got some, I, I've been watching on Facebook, you got some baby calves, some bucking bulls. They're colorful and have big horns, which makes uh, the cattle business a lot of fun when they're like that. Yeah, we, uh, I, I don't really have a program here. I just got a, I got a handful of cows and I got, I've always got bulls around. So who knows who breeds what? So I don't know what, how they're bred, but, uh, anyway, we got, we got, uh, four, we got five on the ground and four of them are bull calves and I got three more left to calves. So we'll see what happens. Do you know what's the dad? What's the sire? Anything I know? I don't know. Like I, like I said, I just keep them all together. So I got, there's been, there's been 10 or 12 different bulls with them. So I don't know. <laughs> so, <laughs> nobody likes those kind of girls, you know, yeah. those, those kind of efforts. <laughs> the bulls are talking amongst themselves. <laughs> exactly. Hey, I saw you uh, and I'll talk about more about your, your memorial roping. I, I saw you in Wickenburg, your memorial roping for your dad, Jim and Danny and Aaron. And, but more than that, uh, out in Wickenburg, you're, you know, you're a, a na- the native son of, of Wickenburg, Arizona. Holy cow, yeah. Cody, that place, that place is going crazy. That's a different place than where, than where you grew up. Right. It's, I mean, it, in, in some ways it's still a little bit the same, but it's quite a bit different. And I mean, it, everybody everybody that wants to rope shows up there in the winter so i mean that's the place to be if you want to be a roper and they i mean there's big 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 money stakes ropings and you can rope every day of the week within 30 miles of wickenburg yeah it's just crazy all the arenas and stuff um so my my girls have spent winters there they they rope every day they either team rope breakaway rope they i think they even entered a goat tying jackpot one day yeah i don't doubt it uh, i can go happening there I, I can go to eat lunch at wickenburg arizona and i will know more people at wickenburg at lunch than if i go to Shoto, montana it's like, <laughs> it's like a convention it's like a convention yeah. of guys with no thumbs yeah and the, the bad thing is, is i see people there that i know 
but out of their element, I'm, I'm not sure who they are. And it bothers me because I, I mean, I can, I've got a really good excuse. I've been hit in the head a few times, so I kind of use that. But, you know, when you see somebody in, in Wyoming in their element, you, mm-hmm. you automatically know who they are. But I see somebody down there and I'm like, I know that I, person. I don't know. I've just gotten good now where I just say, Hey, what, what's your name? And sorry, I, you know, it might be somebody <laughs> I've known for 30 years. They'd look at me like I'm dumb. I did that to Derek Clark. <laughs> I did that to Derek Clark. His brother got inducted into the, uh, Cowboy Hall of Fame mm-hmm. last year, and I hadn't seen Derek for a long time. And man, he looked familiar. He had lost a lot of weight, you know. And I, I said, uh, "Tell me your name." And he, he gave me some pretty good, uh, some, some pretty pretty good commentary. And I knew who he was as soon as he said what he said. <laughs> uh, anyway, they're it, out of uh, context. They're out of context. Yeah. I'm the same way. Yeah. Wickenburg's just, I mean, it, in our lifestyle, the way we do that, we see a lot of people out of context, so it's kind of tough. I envy the guys that remember everybody's names, you know, and that's uh, that's a big thing, really, if people remember your name. It's I'm terrible. special. I'm terrible. That's yeah. why I call everybody buddy. Hey, buddy. Hey, hey pard. Hey, pal. <laughs> hey, sport. <laughs> uh, so... I want to, with you, I'm around you a lot. We talk about different things. You and I have discussed a lot of things. We talk about family. And so coming into this today, uh, for one, uh, first thing first, you are the second guest on this podcast that has sat out and recorded on his porch. Uh, The first one was a guy named Justin McBride. Okay. Oh, yeah. And the entire time he had, have you heard of him? Is, uh, he had a rooster. He had a rooster, <laughs> and the entire show, this rooster crowed. And so you don't have roosters. What What do you got? You got anything that's going to come I, into play? My daughter's little little dog is at the door, at the inside the house, barking right now. So well, you're okay. Dogs aren't. It wasn't as bad as roosters. Uh, apparently, um, uh, apparently, since that day, the rooster has the rooster died. He finally killed the rooster, so, so we're good. But, you know, I introduced you as a founder of the PBR. And I, I think one reason I wanted to have you on is I think you can give me a feel. We always hear, even a guy in my position that's been around a long time, you always hear 20 bull riders got together. They chipped in $1,000, da-da-da-da-da. But I, I've never really got in on kind of the progression of all that and the feel, the tone, how the meeting started, who's, who kind of rallied the troops there and what was the feel of what was going on there? And so, so, um, everybody that's followed bull riding for long enough, they, they know who bull riders only is. And, and there was at the time, this was in 1990, 1990, 91, there was some standalone bull riding events and, and they were, um, you know, like Del Rio and, and, uh, there was a couple in Utah that, that the Gilberts had done. And, and there, there was, I don't know who else there, Alan Jacoby did some, and there was, there was a handful of people that did standalone bull riding events and what, ha- you know, what the deal was, or here's, here's one piece of the story. Um, when we went to those events, we w- we didn't have insurance unless we had our own insurance, which as a bull rider, it's nearly impossible to get insurance. So 
Wasey Cathy uh, broke his arm, I believe, at at one of those standalone events, and it cost him going to the NFR that year. He was qualified, and then insurance wise, it cost him a bunch of money to get his get it fixed. And anyway, so that that kind of was one of the things that we we felt like we're going and they're they're selling tickets on our name and we have no say so in the, in the event, you know, how much money's added, uh, what the stock is, the, the bullfighters that are there, the, you know, having insurance and stuff like that. So that, that's one little piece of the puzzle. Um, Shaw Sullivan put together the, the, um, bull riders only. And they, uh, they had a meeting in Denver in January of, uh, 1991. And <clears throat> unfortunately I was, <clears throat> I wasn't able to make the meeting. I, was, I had my circuit finals that weekend. So I showed up at Denver on Monday and, uh, got handed a contract that was, I don't know, probably 10 pages long. And I briefly looked at it and it was a lot of, uh, a lot of legal jargon yeah. that I didn't yeah. really understand. And, uh, I was told that I needed to sign the contract by Wednesday. And I, I said, well, which Wednesday are you talking about? And he said, day after tomorrow. And I, I said, I'm not signing this without my attorney, you know, taking a look at it. And, and basically he just, he said, we can do it without you. And I handed him the contract back and told him bye-bye. And uh, so 91 was the first year of the bull riders only. And I didn't go to him. I wasn't invited and, and didn't go. And so, uh, Cody Lambert one day asked me, he said, well, how come you, aren't, how come you don't go to the bull riders only? And, and I said, well, I, I didn't sign their contract. And he kind of, he kind of chuckled because there was, there was a handful of them that did sign a contract. And basically the contract just gave them full rights to everything, to your name, your likeness, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I didn't agree with that. Um, and Cody just kind of laughed. He said, oh, there's, there's several other guys going that didn't sign the contract. I said, Oh yeah, really? That's, that's nice. Well, uh, Cody Lambert, Tuff Hedeman, Jim Sharp, Ty Murray. I don't know who all there was. There was probably, probably most of the guys told them that if I didn't get invited to the bull riders only, they weren't coming. And, uh, <clears throat> so what it did is it, it made us understand that we had power in numbers, you know? And so, uh, so I got invited in 92 and I ended up, I, I was the champ of bull riders only in 92. So they, they made a mistake, but not really. It, it was a, you know, we were all in this deal together. You know, we were all out there making a living, riding bulls mm-hmm. away from our families, you know, for 300 days a year or whatever. And it, it just, we just felt like, uh, coming together would, would help us financially, you know, in, in our quest to, to make a living riding bulls, not to mention that, it, you know, would would trickle down to next generations and stuff like that. And so basically with that, I think, I think that kind of catapulted us to come together and, and organize. And so that meeting was, uh, was basically in, um, uh, I believe it was, I believe it was in April of 91 when we, was it 91, 92, I believe. 92. April, April of 92, we, we came together. It was in Scottsdale, Arizona at a standalone bull riding that was uh, called the Justin the Justin Bull Riding. In, I remember in, that. Yeah, I remember that. Alan Toby. I, think, mm-hmm. I believe Alan Toby put it on. And uh, 
it was, I think that's who it was. Maybe it wasn't Alan. No, I think it was. It. Actually, I think it was because that went on even after when it became yeah. a PBR in Houston yeah. and yeah, yeah, early in my career. Yeah. 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 So anyway, I, I think what it did is it just made us all get together and we, we stuck together, you know, the guys that, the guys that anted up that day in the room and it was 20, uh, I'm going to say maybe, tw- uh, I don't know how many guys were in the room that day. I know there was probably like 23 guys that, that anted up and invested in it. Mm-hmm. And we had Brian McDonald was our secretary and, and he, he came to some of the bull ridings and secretary out of the trunk of his car. And it was, it was pretty, uh, you know, pretty, uh, what do you call that? Just old school, you know, yeah. there, there was, there wasn't a whole lot of organization to it. Um, there was a guy named Sam Applebaum who was, mm-hmm. he was involved in the, in the, uh, the Winston tour back in the, in the PRCA. And, uh, and we, we all knew him. And anyway, so we pulled him in to kind of help us negotiate some stuff. And, uh, I'm, I wasn't in some of the meetings, but I heard a lot of stuff and it was, <laughs> it was pretty rugged. He went in there and he, He's a little, he's a little short guy and he had a little short, short man syndrome, but he went in there, he went in there and told him what we wanted, you know, and we all stuck to it. And, and so that's kind of how, that's kind of how the whole thing started. Um, we did have a finals in 93 at Fort Worth. Um, and, uh, actually, you know, that I think that, I think we formed in 90, uh, it was two, wasn't it? Was it? it was 90. Well, I can't remember exactly. I, I can't remember. I think honest. 92, but it, I mean, I wasn't in yeah, on I it. Right. I think yeah. you're right. Well, our, our first finals we had in Fort Worth and it didn't, we didn't, we didn't structure it and have a crown of world champion that year. Right. Uh, but it was, there was a finals in Fort Worth and I don't even remember who won that. But then 94 was our first, our first season with a, with a series and a, and a world champion. And that, of course, that's Adriano, Adriano. came over and, yeah. Yeah, too bad we couldn't have kept him uh, out of the country. (laughs) (laughs) Man, he ruined it for everybody, that guy, didn't he? You know, there's going to be a lot of people that don't get the sarcasm. Like, oh, listen to these guys cussing Adriano. No, (laughs) Adriano, the first time I ever saw Adriano, he showed up in Tucson in 1993 at the rodeo. At the rodeo. At the rodeo. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and I think he had his permit. And he won the rodeo, and then he had to go back to Brazil. I was like, "Man, I'm glad that guy left." <laughs> wasn't hey? Wasn't the Tucson rodeo story? It seems like either Cody Lambert or Jerome Robinson. Somebody told me here comes this Brazilian guy, not a word of English, and oh yeah, and Charlie Sampson. They want to interview him on the TV, and Charlie Sampson steps up, world champ, and says, "I'll I'll translate." For you. Oh, okay. And they go on TV and all he did was yell at him. They want to know if you, is there, I'm sure that's the story. Isn't it? That could be. That's funny. <laughs> well, see, Charlie, Charlie met him in Brazil. That's how he got over here. Okay. Yeah. And I, I Charlie probably had a bull riding school or something over there, but he met Adriano over there and Adriano came over. So, but, uh, you know, the, the history of the PBR, just basically it was a bunch of guys trying to, trying to make a living and, uh, our sport was going to another level and, and the, the promoters were making all the money and we didn't think that was really the way it should be. So, um, 
you know, so basically we just, we just came together as a collective bargaining group and, and, and made it work, you know, and, you know, I, I don't think, I think anybody arrogant enough to say we were the smartest guys on, on the planet, which I've heard, we were just in the right place at the right time. There was, there was a lot of things that came into play. Um, TNN, uh, the Nashville network was, was, uh, they, they had video, they had filmed, um, the bull riding at Guthrie and it was actually, uh, Lane Frost started the kind of started, got that rolling and it was going to be his freckles Brown Memorial bull riding. And so when we had that, uh, I'm not so sure we didn't, I'm not sure we didn't have it, uh, just as a freckles Brown, but after Lane got killed, it was the Lane Frost freckles Brown Memorial. And, um, they had Bud Light came in and, and, uh, I think, because of the relationship tough had with them, um, sponsor wise, but light came in and they put up uh, $30,000 and there was 30 of us and we paid thousand dollar fees. So we matched, they matched our money. So we were riding for $60,000, which was huge. Hmm. And, uh, it was, a it was a three go round, get on two bulls on, on the first day and, and then a long and a short go on, on the last day. So there was 30 guys and, uh, Anyway, I can't, I don't even know who won it that, hmm. that year. Hey, you know, wronger when you say that money, they put up 30, you guys, 30 of you put up a thousand, 60,000 at it. Yeah. What's interesting is as we record this, um, I'm getting ready, uh, to get on a plane and go to a touring pro PBR, a one night touring pro PBR that I've always done at Clovis, California. Clovis Rodeo, oh, yeah. they kick off their week. I used to do the rodeo, so I still go. A one-night touring pro, not a main tour level, and they're adding $40,000. Yeah, so crazy. I know I know time and inflation. However, it really shows. Um, you're talking a, a one-day touring pro lower-level event, and they're adding almost as much as you guys had at the Big Guthrie, Oklahoma, on your main tour. Right. And, and inflation wise, I mean, it's, it, it really doesn't, it really doesn't even add up. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If, if, if we're, if you're talking those numbers, you're talking a hundred thousand, maybe, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I don't know what the inflation rate is, yeah. but, but it's good. You know, it's good. Guys so, have that opportunity though. You know, that yeah. now guys can go on a Wednesday night and, and win 12, 13 grand before they hit Napa, Idaho, for instance. Right. So the, so the thing now, um, the difference now from when, when I was, you know, 20 something is there's a lot more guys leaving the sport with something to show for it. And back then it was, you know, I, 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 uh, I hung out at a golf tournament the other day with Mike Bandy guy, you know, I mean, one of my heroes, one, one of the guys that's a uh, generation and a half ahead of me, but he told me that the first time he went to the NFR, that the go rounds were paying $650. <laughs> so, so it's, uh, it's gotten a lot better. Yeah. Um, it, it, uh, it never, I think there's a wrong impression, especially back then. And, and I see it now because I had a, a really good rodeo career and still love rodeo and have a connection and, and I have a, love what I do in the PBR. It was just a different move, but you guys, what, what was going on was <clears throat> the bull riders, you guys saw, and at that time, that I call those the glory years of of bull riding, the NFR. When you the names you said with with Jim and Tough and Clint Bronger and you, I mean, 
That was to me the golden age of bull riding. Right. What you guys were doing was never intended as we're getting out of rodeo. This is anti rodeo. It supplement. It was in addition to making it to the NFR. Correct. Yeah, and and so so the the uh, the perception was that that we were we were uh, a threat to rodeo, and and I remember when we showed up at the NFR in in 92 because yeah we did we we did form in 91 so when we showed up in, in 92 at the nfr we all had our jackets with black sleeves red you know red uh the the front and the back was red with a big with a big uh a big square on the back with that says professional bull riders and it was uh there were some bad things said I mean, they, they thought we were trying to do something against rodeo and heck that's where we all came from. It wasn't, it wasn't that we were trying to do something for ourselves and the future. And so, I mean, the perception was we were trying to do something bad, but really looking back on it, 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 you know, it, it spread across the board for the whole sport of rodeo. I think just because it, it made people realize that television, more television and more sponsors and more, you know, more exposure was going to be the big was the thing, you know, mm-hmm. that would propel, propel it to where it's at nowadays. I, I still look at it. I, I still think that if people can watch bull riding, any kind of bull riding, just so happens PBR is on TV every week during the season. But if people, every time people see it on TV, when the rodeo comes to town, well, let's go watch that. I, I still, I still am a believer in that. Not everybody is, but uh, but that it does trickle down. It has, uh, I mean, look what it did. The PRCA has the extreme bulls tour. Well, that wouldn't have happened without a standalone bull riding tour. It all feeds the other. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, I, I think that um, like the, the Winston tour was just a little bit ahead of my time. I, mm-hmm. um, in 86, I, I, I didn't get to be a part of it in 87. I was going to be on a team and they, they, 86 was the last year of it. So they 86. Yeah. 86. (laughs) And, uh, I believe that if that wouldn't have gone away, I don't think the PBR would exist. I don't, I think that, uh, I think rodeo would have stayed, uh, just where guys weren't splitting off from, from the rodeo deal. Hmm. So Uh, that would, that would have money would have, I think it would have propelled it to, to higher levels if, if that would have stayed intact because it was a televised series yeah. of the best guys. It was just exactly what the PBR did, but it was rodeo. And, and when that went away for, for several years, it opened the door for us to be able to, you know, for the, for what happened to, to happen. I mean, I say for us, I, once again, I, we were just in the right place at the right time and all the things came together that that made it all work so yeah timing was good i've talked to i had randy bernard on here we talk about that same thing it just the timing was right the the situation was right you know i I talk about that all the time when people will bring up that man we used to go to st louis and sell it out two nights fifteen thousand people well that was at a time when there weren't when you talk about there was a few standalone bull riding events you can go anywhere in the country pretty much any month of the year and there's a standalone bull riding event. 
And I've always yeah. said, that's why PBR, and I say we when I talk PBR, that's why we have to do something that makes it a little better, a little different, a little better competition to get people there because they can go watch bull riding anywhere now, right? Right. And and the other thing, you know, there, there's a lot of criticism of the of of bull riding today, but there and, and bull riders. I, I hear a lot of older guys talking about the young guys and talking crap about them and stuff. And and I don't. The way I look at it, there's there's always been guys that don't. Uh, reach their potential no matter what there's always been that okay but what i see is a is a big problem is that everybody's so spread out and the best guys aren't coming together every time there's guys that rodeo that should be coming to pbrs Mm -hmm. and there's guys that are in the pbr that should just be rodeo right And, and so i i think everybody's so spread out and there's so many different associations and and there's there's guys and there's always been guys that were just regional guys that didn't ever leave their region and, and could have been uh, a household type name, but now they have a place to go and never leave. And so I think they never leave and go reach their potential. I, I think there, you know, if we, if there was some way to bring everybody together where the best guys were competing against the best guys every time and not saying, not, not knocking anybody because mm-hmm obviously the PBR is great and the young guys in there are great and they're all athletic and they, you know, the ones that are excelling are excelling because they're putting the time and effort into it. And it's not a, you know, it's not, it's not an accident that those guys are great, but I I think there's a lot of guys that don't ever, don't ever uh, reach that, that greatness because, uh, because they're comfortable, whether it be a bottom feeder at the PBR that just, makes the finals every year and never does anything yeah. or whether it be a guy that kicks their butt every time he gets on, but he never leaves his, his state, you know, <clears throat> so, I don't know. There, there's a lot of things. And I, I, I talk to a lot of kids about, about what they, you know, like when I'm doing schools and stuff mm-hmm. like that, I talk about there's guys that you, you know, that are household names that have never um, decided to go beyond mediocre they, you see them, you see them mm-hmm. and it's been that way from the start. It's not, I'm not going to name any names cause it's none of my business because, but there's some guys that, that once they realize they got to step to the next level and do what, do what it takes, it shows up and they're right. And, and a perfect example is Cooper Davis. As you know, I don't know if you know the story, but completely, when Cooper, it's a great story. He went to the NFR mm-hmm. maybe once or twice. I don't know, but when he transitioned over to the PBR, he was, he was kind of out of shape and wasn't, you know, he wasn't rock solid like he is now. He, and yeah. Brandon, he, Bates, Brandon Bates was his, was his agent. And Brandon, this is the story I got now. I wasn't there firsthand, but yeah. Brandon told him, he said, you know, if you, if you'd uh, put a little effort into it and quit being a little fat boy and being happy with just being a bottom feeder, you might rise to greatness. And you know what he did? Mm-hmm. He went and, dropped some weight, went, got in, got in shape. And, and a few years later, he's the, the world champ and he's a contender every year now because he, he went from, uh, just being okay with having a good sponsor and being on TV every week to going, Hey, I want to be great. I want to rem- remember me as, as somebody that did something. And, and I think so many guys don't do that. They, yeah. 
they get caught up in the stardom and and they never they never finished what they could have you know what what got started i i just used cooper davis uh, just the other day as that example i call i call some of those and also ran just from another sport i've taken that from other sports but he what i remember when cooper had, had made the nfr and he came <clears throat> he got on the big tour of the pbr and i uh, i admit it now i said yeah cooper will be one of those guys that he'll he'll always be on tour he'll kind of be anywhere from from 20 to 30 he'll be that guy you know he's a good kid he he had long hair his face was he was round kind of stocky and he lost 35 pounds he's a little dude and you know what he did he treated himself like a professional athlete right and why is there and you you segued perfectly for me with your schools and what you mentor guys in why is there such a stigma in especially bull riding it's noticeable to me a stigma about a mentor or a coach nobody likes the word coach hell tiger woods has a has a golf swing coach every professional golfer does and they're making 30 million what's that stigma is it that independent spirit what is it well there's a couple of there's a couple of things i see and i i saw this uh my oldest boy aaron was a calf roper Mm -hmm. and we went down to uh to uh, the calf roping and in, in to uh, oh, what's uh, Barry uh, Barry Burke Barry Burke roping, yeah. and what I saw there was a bunch of uh, guys that were past greats mentoring, like in the in the shoot, help talking to them kids about their start and all that stuff. And and the thought occurred to me that there's a bunch of old bull riders that are pissheads that that all they want to do is talk crap about the kids and don't really give their best to try to help those kids be great. And so it, it got me to thinking about, you know, about how, how important it is for the, you know, when, when I came along, there was guys like, like Denny Flynn, there was guys like, you know, Alan Jordan. Um, there was a bunch of guys that I looked up to that, that were, were my mentors, maybe not, I didn't call them coach, but every time I was around them, I, I took in everything they had to say. And I, I asked them questions and stuff like that. And I learned a lot of, uh, a lot of things by being, you know, I got to rodeo with, uh, Glenn McIlvain, and Bobby Del Vecchio in 86. And then, um, you know, and then at Ted Noose, I, I lived with Ted Noose and rodeoed with him. It, it upped my ante, it upped the, up the, uh, um, just, just up my game to be around those kind of guys. And, and it, it occurred to me that there's a lot of them, a lot of guys nowadays going that don't really have that um, mentorship. And and maybe, you know, the PBR kind of has a little bit of a stigma of, of you're your own man and stuff instead of, you know, like rodeoing, you got in the car and you rode for hours with – with guys and you know i got to, i got to get in with lane and tough and them guys when i was young and and listen to them and talk to them and learn some stuff from them they're a few few years ahead of me and i just i think the i think that didn't happen for a long time i see it a little bit now more some of these older guys that are you know that have been on tour for a while or kind of taking these younger guys under the wing and stuff i don't know exactly what they're telling them but um you know take for instance chase outlaw I know JB Mooney had had some really serious conversations with him back in the day because he he was he was just there for the good time. He yeah. you know and he's still kind of a little badass, but 
I think JB took him aside and said, Hey man, treat this like, like a, a career, you know? And, mm-hmm. and so, um, <clears throat> I just, I see a little more of that now in the PBR. I think there was a while there, they, everybody was kind of a rogue guy and, and, uh, really that that's, that's part I see that's a little bit missing, I think maybe. And part of it goes back to the guys that don't ride anymore. There's so many guys that leave the sport and never, never look back, you know, never even have anything to do with it after uh, they I, leave. I haven't seen, I haven't seen Chris Shivers twice in four or yeah. five years. Well, they're going, they're going and doing other things. I mean, yeah. every guy that rode bulls and, and was good at it, um, you know, 90, 99% of them, go do something else after they ride bulls. So Mm -hmm. you can't, I mean, you got to put some effort into what you're doing after you leave the sport. So I understand some of it, but I just think some of those guys are, are, uh, I don't know. They just, they just don't, I just noticed the calf ropers were more connected to the younger guys. I I think timed events all the way around. My girls are ropers and they get that from, uh, they're constantly going to schools and listening to Joe Beaver and Larry D guy and Jackie Crawford and that, that whole deal. And there's the, I, I, that stigma of it where you're looking for help. Look what has happened a little, you know, Jess Lockwood turned 18 years old and moved from his home in Montana and went and lived with Cody Lambert. And to this day, fans, other riders, oh, right. Jess Lockwood's Cody Lambert's little baby. Oh, he does this, this, it. Why aren't more guys? Any rider on tour could go move in with Cody Lambert, and he'd do the same for them. And it, like Jess always said, it was more about mowing the lawn and, and being disciplined and getting your own laundry done. And it wasn't all about riding, but he'd do the yeah. same. There's, a, there's an example right there. Yeah. Stetson Lawrence came and spent a little bit of time at my house and, uh, you know, I, not that I'm taking credit for it, but that was just right before he really started, you bet. started excelling and, and, you know, so, and, and there's been some other guys. I don't, you know, that's not, that's not what I, I mean, I pride myself on that, but I don't brag on it and I don't yeah. take credit for the guy's success because in the big scheme of things, I'm just a small piece of the puzzle. Sure. You know, if I've helped some guys and, I don't want to be a guy that's taking credit for their success. Uh, you're a good piece. You're a good piece. You're that, you're that one main piece. You're a good piece of that puzzle. Cody. <laughs> hey, but when you, when you talk about it, go now, one thing I think you have been outspoken about is what young, how young kids that want to be bull riders should establish their foundation to then become yeah. great. It, you know, you, I'll, I'll quote you as saying, kind of, I'll paraphrase a little bit. It doesn't do kids any good to go get dick slammed 10 times in a row. You don't learn anything. You go watch kids and they're riding these, some stock contractor brings a bunch of three-year-old bulls and laughs at them because he, he dick slams them. Kids should be getting on something that helps their, their fundamentals. Correct. And, and okay. So, so the, the, the backstory of this whole, of my whole career is when I was, um, Oh, I think I was, I was eight or nine, something like that. We had a, we had a rodeo arena in Flagstaff, Arizona. So it was kind of a seasonal deal during the summer. We had rodeos and ropings the whole summer. Well, we had 30 head of roping steers and a set of bucking, bucking shoots. So, what do you think they doubled as? Yeah. <laughs> they were bucking, you know, they were bucking steers too. And 
this could be a little bit of an exaggeration, but I don't believe it is. In those three summers, I'll bet I got on 2,500 head of steers. And, and do you know how many times I hit the ground? I don't know, but it wasn't very many. Like, mm-hmm. if I hit the ground 30 times out of those 2,500 head, it, that, that'd be, I mean, that might be stretching it. Huh. And so <clears throat> what that did for me is it gave me, it gave me the foundation of riding steers, you know, riding, riding something with some forward movement and some up and down. There was a few of them that would turn back, but not very many. And, and so I learned, I learned how to track one trying to get away from me and without the, without the strength and the athletic ability there. So by the time I got on my first bull, when I was 13, I, there was no chance that he was going to get me on the ground because he was just a, a junior bull. And so, you know, the difference was, is I kind of had my, you know, I, I had a lump in my throat cause I was getting on a bull, but he, he had no chance of bucking me off. And so what happened is I got prepared to start getting on a little bit stronger and bigger and, and, uh, more powerful athletic type animals. I think that, I think that process gets skipped nowadays because number one, there's a lot of junior bull riding going on at 10, 11 years old rather than 13. And um, so these kids are starting to get on stock that's a little bit over their head before they're ready. And so I, I think it's left a lot, of, a, le- a lot of them, you know, with either getting – losing heart or, or getting hurt bad enough that they, that they can't. And uh, – so our our generation kind of got taken care of accidentally because there was no breeding programs and there wasn't the big you know there was probably a few guys that were kind of had that figured out a little bit but it wasn't it was didn't trickle down into the junior associations because if if there was a high school bull that showed up that was a twenty two pointer you never saw him again because yeah. he went somewhere else yeah. and and nowadays you go to a high school rodeo and there's LA, I mean you could, you could go put on a amateur or pro rodeo with what right. they bring. Right. And in a lot of cases, I mean, a lot of people have, okay. So because of my, because of my son, Brett wanted to be a bull rider and I went to the junior high finals in 2005 and I saw what was going on. I was like, Oh my God, you know, they're putting these little 12, 13, 14 year old kids on these bulls that are real bulls, you know? And I about got beat up that day because uh, <laughs> there, was, there was one one bull that you could have been 90 on, and this kid tried to ride him, and, I mean, he did pile drive this poor kid. And the guy that owned the bull was, woo, what Cheer. do you think of that? I mean, I, I gave him an earful, and it wasn't nice. So he was going to beat me up. Then I went. Then I went and <laughs> had a conversation that was that was a stupid, you know, guns blazing type deal with the leadership of the – high school association. So I, so I kind of burned some bridges there and had everybody pissed off at me. And so I started, you know, I started really being outspoken about it, but along the way I started to learn to be a little more, a little more, uh, diplomatic, maybe diplomatic. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and it took like, so the high school association, the people, the people that run the high school association, they know me and we're, we're in good, we're in good, um, you know, we're good now, but there was a few years them guys hated me because I, it pissed me off so bad what they were doing to these kids. 
And so I started kind of backdoored it and started helping out with the Texas region one bulls. And then I got in there and did the, you know, helped with the bulls at the state and then gained their, their, um, I don't know if it's respect, but I gained their, um, their blessing to start coming. So I've done the, I've done the junior high nationals for the last four years. I got it again this year, which last year we didn't have a finals, but right. in those, in those years, you've had to ride two bulls to make the short go. And that never happened before that. Yeah. So, so I bull, I pulled the bulls back to where they were, ha- it was more of a riding contest than a drawing contest. And, and so Anyway, I just, I mean, I, my influence and, and not just mine, but mine and some other people think the same way I do, um, has really helped a lot of people that don't have a a child that's going to get killed. If you don't, you know, if you don't take care of them, they're they're starting to see it a little bit more because we've kind of, uh, infiltrated the the bull riding deal. So this year I've got, I've got a contract on the junior high nationals. I've got the contract on the little britches finals. I've got, um, possibly got the contract on the junior NFR. Um, I will take bulls to the, the YBR in, in Abilene. Mm-hmm. So, so I've gained enough, um, trust, trust. of people. Yeah. Completely. And, and so it's kind of cool. I mean, I, you know, I still see things every once in a while that make me go, God dang, that, that ain't the best. But, uh, there's a there's a miniature bull association called the IMBA, the International Miniature Bull Riders, and they uh, they contacted me about getting involved with them, and so we've had a lot of conversations, and and basically they put me as the CEO, which I don't know what that means, other than just I'm just uh, kind of a face of the the deal and kind of um, sponsor relations uh-huh. type deal, and um, we we got um, we signed the contract on our finals in Reno in uh, in november right the weekend after the pbr finals hmm. and so we are uh we're going to have a big event in reno our finals and in my mind i want to try to make it where there's ten thousand added yeah uh, per per um, age group there's four age groups so that's kind of what that's kind of what my my brain's saying which we might not get there this year but we've got some ideas that's going to help help make it a big deal. So as you were talking, I I remember, and I've heard other coaches say this too. I'm a big analogy to other sports guy. You know, I'm an analogies guy. And I remember when my brother was the head basketball coach at the little town we grew up in. And he said, man, you you give a kid a basketball now, a little kid. And what's the first thing he does? He said, the worst thing they ever did was draw that three point line on a floor. First thing a kid does is go out and try to crank up three pointer and he can't even get the ball there. So it screws him up. His, his yeah. shooting form screwed up instead of yeah. shooting layups. And I thought yeah. of that. That's all that was going through my mind. You were shooting layups with those steers and yeah. free throws. And then when it came time to shoot a three pointer, you had confidence. I don't know. That's, exactly. I think it's a good analogy. And I relate that all back to sports. Every, yeah. every sport, that you, every organized sport that you have has a, has an overriding entity that that sets the the precedent for how to how to bring them up bull riding there's not that there's there's never been somebody that has made a set of of rules to go by to to help get them to step the ladder so to speak but you know you got little league you got 
you know, Pop Warner, you got all the, they, they really work on foundation and they don't put them, they don't, a, a, a six-year-old doesn't play a 12-year-old. Right. And essentially that's what's happened in the world of bull riding is, is these young guys, you know, these kids that are just kids are getting on bulls that are not. Yeah. That's yeah. out. Yeah. It's gotten better. I, I mean, it's gotten better and a lot of people are seeing it and there's still people that don't see it my way and argue with me and that, well, what about the kid that can ride? Well, who cares? The kid that can ride is still going to dominate. He's going to win anyway. He's yeah. going to, and he's got other places to go if he really doesn't want to be there. Yeah. And so anyway, that's my, you know, thought. the whole bull thing though, I've been around, I'm not one of the guys that I, I'm not uh, the old guy or the young guy that holds any era as superior to the other. But I will say I've, I've been, I look at PBR videos from, from the world finals in 1998 and I was there. Now I see him from 2020 and I was there. The bulls across the board right now. I have just, as we do this, I have just come from Oklahoma city. Cody. I mean, it's unreal. Don't at no yeah. old guy can ever say bulls really bucked back harder. Hey, back. Some, of them do, some of them do though. That's the thing. I mean, there was always a handful that were great. Like we have now, but across the boards, man, it's, I went to some amateur rodeos with, with Brett when he was 17. And I was like, I'd tell somebody, Hey, you know, this would be a pin of bulls at the NFR when I was going They're Like, no, I'm like, yeah, seriously. Like it's, yeah, it's that they're, they face something that we didn't face. And, and honestly, in our mind, you know, we were making a living on bulls that were subpar. These guys nowadays that subpar bulls don't really exist or if they do, they're gone. They, they send them somewhere else. And so, um, you know, the thing that we dreamed of, they have. And, and so, uh, not, not to, not to knock anything. I'm just saying that we got on a lot of easy bulls along the way throughout the year. And then when we had that one bull, we had to step up and, and make it count today. They, they get on that bull every single time. And, and I'm not saying I don't, I mean, if we, if we'd have been faced with what, what they're faced with today, the riding percentages would obviously have gone down. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a no brainer. And so I just, I, it bothers me when I hear them guys talking crap about the young guys nowadays, because there was always guys that didn't do what it took to be the, the best. Yeah. And, and they're still, that's still the, the scene today. It just, I just think a lot of people forget. And there's a lot of guys that were that, that guy that, mm-hmm they don't remember they were that guy. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, and you got, that's a nice looking cow over your left shoulder, that red and white spotted. There you go. That, I mean, you can't, you can't plan this any better. Fox news got <laughs> nothing on me. I mean, look at the background I provide. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, tell me that now this might be tough and you can, you can pluralize it. You can do whatever. Uh, fans love to hear this <clears throat> best favorite bull or, that you ever got on or maybe the, the one great bull ride you remember that was your favorite, either one of those. The a bull ride of my own. Yeah. Of your own. So yeah, maybe it's a favorite bull that you got on a bunch of times or one particular ride that you really stands out in your mind. Well, there, okay. So when it, when we're talking about bulls, there was, 
Pacific Bell, and you you were there the day he knocked my block off <laughs> at Guthrie. Were you there? I don't know if I was there, but I know of it. I so that might have been before my time, but I remember. Yeah. yeah. So Pacific Bell uh, was was Dan Russell's on mm-hmm. the West Coast, and he was um, he got he got uh, he got the Bull of the Year in 1988, and um, 1988 was I was I went to the San Francisco to the Cow Palace and um, had to win some money there to make the NFR. I was I was outside the top 15, and I won the first round at the Cow Palace, and I drew Pacific Bell the Buck and Bull of the Year that got. Uh, he got uh, crowned the bull of the year that, you know, earlier that year, whatever it was, maybe a couple weeks before that. So, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I have him in the short go and uh, a lot of people say, well, you had to ride him to make the NFR. Nobody really knows this, but I already had the NFR made <laughs> and I knew it. And so it took some pressure off of me. I think, I think that's why I stuck it on him because I, the the pressure I don't know. Maybe it might have it might have worked the other way too. But it, I had some relief. Like I I knew I'd made the finals, and then when I drew the bull of the year, it didn't it didn't freak me out. I was just excited, and I went and I went and rode him. So I rode him his first trip after he got crowned bull of the year, and then he goes to the NFR and Jim Sharp rides him and Ted Noose rides him. He gets ridden <laughs> the first three times as bull of the year, and I'm pretty sure Dan Dan Russell was. Not very happy about that, but so anyway, that yeah. But Dan Russell was never happy. He was Dan Russell wasn't happy about anything anyway. So he was happy sometimes. <laughs> but he, uh, but anyway, that bull. So I got on that bull. That was the first time I got on him. I got on him uh, five times, and the other four times didn't go my way. But uh, um, so he was my favorite bull. He he was um, he was a compact type bull. So like from from my rope where my rope set to the flank strap was just, it wasn't very, there wasn't very much room. He was real short body. Hmm. He was tall and lanky, short body. And, uh, he felt really good until you got a little bit of a bind and then it wasn't so good. But, hmm. um, I had him, at, I had him at Guthrie right after I won the world and, uh, he jerked me down. And so this yep. shaving scar, every time I shave, I think about Pacific bell. So he, <laughs> and then he tore my bicep tendon later that year, which took me out for the whole year. And then he separated my ribs. Well, so we had, we had a history together. This but is, he, he was my favorite. He's my favorite bull. This sounds like you, it, this, you describing that bull is like you saying, man, my best friend in high school was this kid. He was the best, but he kicked my ass every day. But man, did yeah. I like him. <laughs> yeah. So as far as my favorite ride that, that I made was um, at the bull riders only finals in 1992, I got, I got bucked off, uh, there, the short go there, there was four of us that came back to the top, the last go round. And I had a bull called Five Fifty Rocky and he was the bull of the year in 92. And, uh, he, uh, he bucked me off and all four of us got bucked off. And so there was really no precedent for, for what to do. And so we all came together. It was me and Clint Bronger and, um, buddy, buddy golden and Mark Kane. Oh wow! There was the furthest. and so as like Shaw Sullivan said, well, we don't have any, we don't have anything to, we don't know what to do. Do we go off the last go round, which I won, or do we all get on another one? I said, well, you guys know my vote, so I, but I'm gonna go rosin my <laughs> rope. We were getting on another bull, and uh, 
anyway, they, they had us go out in the arena and draw, draw our own bull out of the hat. And when I was reaching in there, I didn't really know what bulls were in there. I, I think I knew outlaw was outlaw. Willie was in there, but in my mind, I was like, I want the buckingest son of a gun on the planet. Cause I was pissed off for falling off. And, uh, I reached in there and I pulled, um, 73 high fives, which was a, a son of the great Mr. T. Mm-hmm. And when I saw I had him drawn, I was like, that's right up my alley. Cause I, I knew what, you know, I knew he was going to buck and go away from my hand, try to buck me off. And I was excited to get on him. And I was 95, I was 95 points on him. Won the, won the bull riders only championship that, that huh. year or that day. So that's my favorite ride. And if you go back and watch it, you can find it on YouTube. It's pretty easy to find it. It's, it's the best ride I ever made. And huh. something I use to, when I talk to guys about riding bulls away from their hand, I, I always go to, to that as a, yeah kind of a, a, a platform to show. Yeah. So um, we get a lot and it, there's so much debate of who the greatest bull rider of all time. Who's the greatest bull rider you've ever seen. Uh, JB Mooney's the best Chris Shivers and all those guys could fit. I always say in my career, because I think it was the heart of my career and maybe because I was better friends with him or I knew what kind of guy he was. I always say the best bull rider I saw in my career Justin McBride. I I just, the way he did things. And uh, if you had to, if you had to pick one, if you had to pick one that you saw in person, uh, who, who would you pick right off the top of your head? Jim Sharp's going to be my, going to be my pick. I mean, you can't, you can't say that, you know, McBride's not in that conversation because I mean, heck just, just watch all his videos. He was, he was extraordinary at doing what he did. Um, Jim, Jim was a year behind me in the PRCA and he was kind of a guy that everybody heard of. He went, he went around to those amateur deals and stuff when he was 17 and he won, he won like 35,000 at open rodeos and jackpots when he was 17 years old. Like he was, and I saw Jim when he first came around and he, he spurred about everything he got on. Like it was, it was, uh, it's just incredible to watch. And and so in my mind, I say, you know, I say, uh, Jim, Jim in my mind was the greatest bull rider I ever saw, but shucks, you can't, you can't take, there's a ton of guys you can put in that, in that, uh, in that conversation. And, um, there's a lot of guys for a lot of different reasons. Uh, JB Mooney, you can't, you can't say there's anybody that's more of a, is more of a, um, like a, a Titan or whatever you want to call it. He, he was, mm-hmm. he's a badass. He went for it every time. And, you know, he probably bucked off more easy bulls than he did buckers. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, off of specific bull riding a little bit, but you are well known amongst all of us as a guy who leans and is proud of your faith. And, You've always been one, you know, every time I talk to you on the phone, you say, God, God bless you, you know, and it's just, it means something to me that you do that. I I follow, we're friends on Facebook and there was something shared the other day and I never knew this. I mean, I I don't know the whole story and it was the title of it. How was paraphrasing how the loss of one man changed the life of another man. It was 1985, yeah. and the guy's name was Jeff Crockett. 
Yeah. And I never knew the story. I don't know the story. How did what the loss of a friend change you? Well, so, so Jeff, Jeff and I were rookies the same year, which was 1985. And, uh, and we rodeo together. I mean, we didn't rodeo together, but we were, we saw each other quite often. We became pretty good friends. Um, Jeff, uh, in 1987, he just missed the NFR. I don't know how many spots, but he, he just about made the finals and that was my first year. So he came to Vegas and stayed with me and we had a good time. We just, we hung out and we had a good time. Like he was, he was a really good friend. Um, right after the NFR, I had my knee operated on and, uh, <clears throat> so I had, I had made, I had made a decision for the Lord in 1984 but, but really didn't really know what that meant, you know, just so, so in my downtime, while I was nursing my, my knee surgery, um, I started, I started reading the Bible and just really, um, really investigating what, what it all meant, you know? And, uh, so when I cracked back out, um, I, I was rodeoing really hard and seemed like everywhere I was, I was with Jeff. We were up at the same rodeos a lot and Jeff and I, we talked a lot about the Lord and he, he's kind of in the same, we were kind of in the same position. We'd, we'd made a decision, but didn't really, didn't really know what it meant, you know? And, uh, anyway, so, uh, Jeff's wife was pregnant and she was, she was going to have a baby and he was excited about that. And I mean, just, just his life was going good. And, and we had a lot of conversations about the Lord as we, you know, as we'd see each other and it always ended up, it always came around to that. And, uh, his, um, August 28th of 1988, I was supposed to meet him and, and Scott Bredding or Scott, uh, Kessel mm-hmm. at, uh, Logan or what's the name of that town? Um, why can't I think of it? Anyway, just a little old, little old rodeo in Urington, Nevada. That's where it was at. I was supposed to meet them there. I was up the night before, and I had Scott, I had Scott's car, and Jeff and Scott were together, and we were all going to meet there. And I found there was a guy from Phoenix that was up that night going back to Arizona, and I hadn't seen my parents since uh, the 4th of July. So I just left the keys to Scott's car with the secretary and went on. And – uh that that next day jeff got a bull stepped on his head and and he later died that night and uh it just it it just kind of made me it kind of made me realize that this isn't forever you know and uh myself and beaver jernigan uh we got baptized the next week at pueblo colorado in in the at the motel six swimming pool (laughs) (laughs) freaking my butts off but uh Anyway, just, just my, my time spent with Jeff and the conversations we had and how excited he was about his wife being pregnant and him starting a family. And I didn't find this out until later, but, uh, Jeff was planning on, um, attending, uh, attending the Academy and becoming a sheriff, a deputy sheriff. That, that was what he, I, I've, I've since spent time with his family and stuff and his parents told me that. So that's kind of exciting. Like he had some plans besides bull riding, but, but anyway, that, that just changed my life. And I just saw things through different eyes and, and, uh, it just, it just changed. It really changed my path, you know? And so my friendship and his death, my friendship with him and his death and his influence in my life really, 
made an impact on me spiritually. And I can't say I didn't go a little bit, a little bit to the, to the extreme of being, uh, <clears throat> maybe what, what I call now, maybe religious, you know, just where I kind of put a little pressure on people and, and a little more pressure than, than I really would have, would like to have had, you know, done just because I remember the, I remember the guys that were like, Christians and cowboy preachers that really put pressure on me. And I always felt uncomfortable around that. And so I think I went that direction for a little while, but, um, you know, I got some friends that, that talked to me and tell me, Hey, you never, you never treated me any different. I knew who you were and I knew what you're doing. And Aaron Seamus is a, is a great, you know, perfect example of that. He, him and I were friends back in the day and we did all kinds of wild, wild, crazy stuff. And when I, you know, I made my decision to step away from the party life and, and all that stuff and just really take take my Christianity serious and not not do the things I'd done. He'd always kid around and say, Hey, let's go have a beer, you know, and knowing that knowing I wasn't going to and but he'd kinda have he kinda rib me a little bit. And <clears throat> the story is we we chartered a jet from Odessa at the, at the Bud Light cup to, uh, Hollister, California. And there was probably, there was probably 12 or maybe 15 of us on this Learjet. And I was sitting next to Aaron and I, I fell asleep. And when I woke up, he was, he, he had my notebook out and he's going through my stuff. Cause he's kind of a, he's a little like a curious George. Yeah. Little monkey. <laughs> he's, he's looking through my stuff and he said, Hey, what's this? what's this list? His name was on a list. He said, what's this list? And I said, ah, oh, it's guys I pray for every day. And he's like, you pray for me? I said, yeah, every day, man, I love you. You know? And that's, that's all I didn't, I didn't try to preach to him. I just kind of left him alone. And so down the road later on, when Aaron, when Aaron's life, uh, when the circumstances were right and he made a decision for the Lord, he pulled me off and told me, he said, Hey, that day, that that was a that was helpful in my deciding to to investigate the Lord, you know, and 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 so I don't know. I I think I think there's I think there can be a lot of pressure. Of I'm a Christian. I, I mean, you guys saw me. I was drinking a beer here. I, <laughs> I got I got finished. I got finished fencing, fencing a little while ago, and it was kind of warm outside, so had a little refreshment. But I I just think people take it to. Uh, take it to the extreme of, of making other people uncomfortable in it. And, and I don't, I don't want to be that because I've been that I've been the guy that is uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, you know, you and I have had some spiritual um, conversations and stuff and I don't, you know, I don't really indulge what's been said between me and anybody. And I actually did a <clears throat> interview for a documentary about Lane Frost and Lane and I had some good conversation Um you know, back in the day and, and Lane, you know, of course he, he received Christ before he was killed, which was really, really an awesome deal to, to his family. And to, you know, I mean, you, you know, the Lane Frost Bibles that, that Clyde and Elsie give out and stuff like that. It just, so anyway, the, the impact, which, and, and I didn't share any kind of detail about what we talked about, but there's some conversations I've had with some other guys where I, I was trying to make them see the way I saw rather than give them room to be my friend and not, 
uh, you know, not, not be, uh, human about it. You know what I'm saying? I think so many people get so hell bent on saving the world. You can't do that. It's all in God's timing and how, you know, how it get, it all gets orchestrated is not up to me. It's up to, um, you know, the father and his way of doing things. And so I just, I don't, uh, I don't speak a whole lot publicly anymore. I used to think I had to, I still do sometimes, but, and I help with the youth here at, at our church every Wednesday night that I'm home. Um, and, you know, we do, we do all kinds of things like, um, we'll, we'll take those kids down to Oklahoma city and feed the homeless and stuff. And so they, they got hands on what being, a good human and, and being a believer in Christ is. So I just, anyway, I've changed a lot of my way of thinking. So, so we talk about, we talk about faith and, and we talk about beliefs and, and a lot of people make those as one. And, And I think my faith has never changed. My faith is in Jesus, but my belief system and the way I, the way I, present it has changed over the years and i think it will i think i think it's going to continue to it's going to continue to uh well holler at me next year i'll have a different look at something you know i can because yeah well i'm witness to 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 um that your beliefs and how you present it is different and i'm completely comfortable around you and love to to chat with you and you know there's I look at people who go through loss and losing family members. And, you know, I think sometimes he, he gives certain people things cause he knows that he can handle them. And, you know, I, I wrote down your dad, Jim, your brother, uh, Danny, right. Danny. And your son, Aaron, I mean, you've gone through some loss, but you open, here's what I like. You openly honor them. It's not something that you are afraid to talk about, uh, it's yeah. not something uh, I can talk to you about it. And, you know, you have memorial roping for them. You, you do things. It, it, it's a good release and something that faith is something to lean on to get you through that. And I think yeah. people, until they have that loss, don't understand that that's really something to, to grab onto to help you navigate through that stuff. Yeah. And I, I mean, I take it as, as uh, you know, Aaron's life, my boy, his life, my dad, my brother, Danny, those guys, their lives, um, are still, are still playing out, so to speak. You know what I'm saying? And so, um, as, as yours will and mine will after we're gone because of the people we encounter and the, and the, and the experiences we have with them and the stories that will get told us about us down the road and stuff like that. So I, I just don't, I, I don't want to be that guy that's, uh, that when I walk up into a group of people that people are hiding their beer and trying to, you know, trying to get away from me because I'm going to preach to them. I don't do that. I decided, I decided a few years ago that I don't, I don't witness publicly. I don't do it anymore. That's not my agenda. I don't, I don't, I won't talk to anybody go up. I mean, I say I won't, if, if I have, if I know I'm supposed to, I, I will, but my agenda used to be try to make everybody see it the way I saw it. And, Ultimately, I get to witness more than I would the other way because it always comes around to that because people know who I am and then they start trusting me and then they open up. They start the, the, the back and forth. It's not me 
pressuring them into hearing something. And I've got a lot, you know, I've got a lot of friends that don't, they don't want to hear it. And I don't, that's fine. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not there to try to straighten anybody out. Hell, I barely straighten myself out, you know? (laughs) Well, listen, I, uh, and, and I did want to touch on that. It means a lot to me. And I, I know, I know that you do things like pray for me when I've needed it, but it's not, I appreciate it. Anyway, I, and before I let you go, I, you know, I, I always try to throw some thoughts in here. I wanted to have you on. I knew you'd have great thoughts about bull riding, about faith and beliefs, but more than that, I, I, when I see, I consider you my friend and we've been around, you know, we've been around a while, Cody, CC rider. We're both still 28. Yes, we are. As a matter of fact, and look good. Okay. One, one last thing. Verify this because I was just telling this story. It's lighthearted about, we were talking about bullfighters and how now we have three bullfighters out there and that's fairly new. It used to be two. Well, I remember when there was one and one of the first rodeos, it was 1995 in Red Lodge, Montana, and they hired one bullfighter. It was Jeff Kobza. Remember Jeff Kobza? About two bulls in, he sprains his ankle (laughs) and I'm there. And I'm not any bullfighter. I know it was you put your tennis shoes on and came out and helped me. Do you remember that at all? I could have been. I mean, I don't know if I was any help. I was probably I probably stayed close to, it, close to the fence with my hand on my hat. <laughs> so so basically, we were doing the same thing. So see, I'm probably right. So yeah. anyway, I, what year was it? Would have that would have been 95 ish, I think. Possibly, it might. Yeah. Anyway, well, regardless. Yeah. Regardless, it might not have been me in '95, but well, just let's just go with it. Let's just yeah. go with that. So yeah, we were a team. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, well, listen, I I always appreciate you. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your family, and and Stacy and the kids, and and um, it, it just talking about this means a lot to me. And I appreciate the time, my friend. Yeah, yeah, man. Thanks for having me on. I I've, I've watched your show a few times, and I I have to say this is probably your best one so far <laughs> of hey, of all the people like <laughs> of all the people i've had on this show you're one of them as a matter there of you go. that's right cody thank you my friend i'm the most recent let's put it yes down. you are yes you uh, you are hey i'll see you soon okay all right god bless you buddy thank Take you care. Cody. Thanks. thank you yeah. Yeah. Bye.